Welcome back to another episode of Space in 60, 60, 60, 60. We have Chad Baker. Hello. 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 And your pull-up Chuck. <laughs> I'm just going to say, hey, I don't know what the deal is. Are these guys like in the Super Bowl stadium or what? Like, I just... Oh, Andrew, join the fun here. Put yeah, I gotta, I gotta go to what, down. Yeah, Canadian Canyon or something where there is an echo, echo, echo. Canadian Canyon, what's that? <laughs> I don't know that. I don't know. So like the Something Grand in Canyon? the Rockies. Yeah, like, like the, the, Grand the Canadian just... version of the Grand Canyon, right? Yeah. What would the what it. would the Canadian version of the Grand Canyon look like? Uh something up north in between the icebergs or something. There we it's go. Very descriptive for our podcast here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Something sometimes between, you have yeah. to go in a little more detail for the listeners. Tough, yeah. Tough to see. Oh man. Yeah, there's a lot going on in the space industry, but you know, I've been seeing a ton lately about in-space servicing with the spacecraft. Like they're all over the place. Have you guys been watching that? Nope. Nope. I haven't seen that, but is that like gas stations in space? So we're we're trying to decarbonize Earth. So we're gonna recarbonize space or oh no, I've been I've been checking out a lot of the you know the stories on payload and every day there's something new, it seems like on um in orbit servicing so that's you know refueling or or fixing or moving orbits with spacecraft and it just seems like they're they're popping up everywhere and like i have a hard time believing there's that much market for that many companies but today i watched a video on in orbit servicing and there was a spacecraft coming in and essentially it it stuck out a robotic arm not unlike canada arm reached out pulled in the other spacecraft um, pulled out this thing, like something you would see off of a uh, short circuit, like a, like a can opener on an arm and it cut off part of the spacecraft, open up a piece of it to begin the refueling process, screwed the cap off, put in there, refueled with propellant and then backed away. And then everything was on its merry way. So sounds great, but I think there are a lot of challenges with that. A lot of challenges, but amazing stuff to come of it. I mean, we focused a lot on like space debris and some kind of space environment. Are you guys sure about that? Like, have you missed out that there's a whole movement here on Earth about the right to repair? Like, you can't <laughs> fix your John Deere, you can't fix your car, you can't, can't fix, fix your, your iPhone. iPhone. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, maybe these guys are optimistic that there'll be legislation in place, but I kind of feel like right to repair in space might be a little bit of an issue. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's it's really cool. But, you know, I think one of the, the challenges with it is like there's so much proprietary stuff going on, like the gas caps are not all going to be the same. <laughs> and like to get everyone like on the same in, gas on, cap, yeah, on the same gas cap. I, I just don't see it happening. <laughs> You're going to need the guy on the ground to hit the button, you know, like some cars just need to hit the button to put, pop it open. Other ones you just push in. Yeah. So there Andrew, we, we can control it that way. The man with the Atari stick controlling there the satellite needs yeah. to push the trigger to open the gas cap. Universal joystick. There we go. Yeah. Like and you know, I look at it though. If you think about how the market's gone on electric vehicles, you know, you've got 
the Tesla stations, you've got some of the universal stations, and then you know quite a few of the auto manufacturers. They all have their proprietary way of charging the the electric vehicle. And you know when we think about in orbit servicing and space tugs and all of these ways that we need to dock and connect, I just first I have a hard time believing there's so much market that we can support this many companies entering the market. But even if you get them all available for for servicing, I, I just it's challenging to think that this many companies can start working in the same standards so that you basically can refuel or service or whatever service you're providing um, in the same way. Funny you mentioned that. Our, our good friend Vince, I'll give credit to Vince. I mean, he had a pretty good idea. Instead of charging at the gas station or charging at any station for that matter, having a universal car battery pack standard. So you just swap out the battery packs and that way you're charge up is instantaneous batteries charge during the night offline whatever but you just keep on your your caravan journey you know why that'll never happen makes way too much sense fair (laughs) point chad fair (laughs) point yeah i think you know with you know business rules with politics i think that'll be the biggest challenge if you just left it to the engineers it would probably work fine yeah Mm. (laughs) every engineer has got their own best idea right uh, yeah, yeah, I think. But, the, you know, generally, they're supportive of, of standardization. This but, is true. They are supportive of, of standardization because it does make life easy. Speaking of standardization, we've got a pretty amazing guest on the show today. And, you know, when we're starting to talk about standardization, standards in space, it's not related at all. But we do have a cool, cool guest on the show today. We've got Grant Blaisdell. Grant's an entrepreneur in the space industry, web 3.0, blockchain, crypto, nonprofits, seems to be bringing space into every aspect of his life. And I can't wait to hear more about it. Looking forward to it. And let's welcome Grant. Grant, it's great to, to have you on the show. I appreciate you joining. Thanks, Glenn. Nice to be here. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, I have to go through the process of introducing you to the other guys on the show. I'm probably bring your night down, but I'll do it just the same. Andrew and Chad. It's a rough <laughs> life you have, Clint. I, I don't know what to say. <laughs> speechless. Just speechless. <laughs> so yeah, great. It's a pleasure. And you know, we're really excited to learn about the ways that you came into the space industry, all that you've got going on. And, and we'd love for you to just tell us more. Awesome. Yeah, I look forward to it. So open book, go for it. Yeah. So what brings you to the space industry? It's kind of a familial thing in a way, and it's a certain legacy and life mission that follows it. So my my grandfather was an officer in the Polish Air Force and helped create the Polish astronaut program. And he had these early writings, I still have these journals actually in storage, not far from me right now, um, where he kind of has these earliest writings I've seen of the idea of like democratizing access to space because it's something because of where he was geopolitically, so to say, uh, was a, a real thing uh, for him and his students, you know, at a certain point, etc. So that's like the seed for it all. My mother's kept that let's say grab that torch and kept that burning 
um, and has involved me from an early age in certain her activities or her visions or ambitions around the space economy in various ways. And, you know, years ago, we, we started building a certain vision and mission around, you know, how the new space economy is going to have to operate and how it needs an entirely new, as we call it, economic operating system uh, than, than existed before. So, you know, my entry into space isn't from an engineering end uh, or a scientific end, really. My passion for it is more of the macroeconomic end and how the macroeconomic end can create solutions that benefit people on Earth in a wide variety of ways once you really dig in that rabbit hole. So space for me is kind of everything, you know, I do, I have, I do other things in life and I mix space in with it. So my, my data, my average conversation, you know, focuses around space and the application of web three and blockchain technology to it. At a certain point, I might even get kind of boring to people unless I get them really excited in the first place. No, that, I mean, that's really cool. A few of us in in our circles have been talking about blockchain and some of the effects it can have on space commerce, the integrity of data that that's coming down. We've got a lot of background in the Earth observation industry, and blockchain technology can add integrity to that. I guess chain of of ownership, chain of possession of that data that's that's coming back. Yeah, that's that's one element of it, but I think that that that's a feature. For, for the way that I view it, that's a feature that's a part of the overall solution, which is how do we better deliver this data in a more actionable manner to a wider set of the commercial or even retail market? That's the, that's the, the kind of holy grail to me around that. So there's certain people who are working on building that more infrastructural data integrity element. Our thing is for them to be able to turn those into assets that are very easy to not just acquire, but also access whatever the utility of the data set is directly through the asset that they acquire. And also turn that asset into a real asset so that it has its own kind of economic life, right? Like I could buy an hour of computing power or access to a satellite around satellite imagery power. I might use half an hour and I want to sell the other half an hour. Right. So we see like we see three layers to it. There's the data rights management security element on top of it. You know, you build a marketplace that the streamlines how you you know buy that stuff, commercialize it, access it. And then you build secondary markets by turning them into real assets that provides a, a entirely new revenue paradigm for space. So really, if you bust out down Copernic space, we're kind of like a digital rights management system. It's just that's not like the main selling point focus for us for the market. Yeah, that's that's what I was about to ask was I, I saw that you started an, an entire business around this concept, like right in the middle of the pandemic. Uh, well, the concept is actually, you know, I'm I'm also co-founder and former chief marketing officer of Coin Firm, and we started that 2015-16. And the idea and the initial concepts around Copernic space were already being built back then is just lessons from previous mistakes or, or, you know, attempts 
is how important timing is, right? And blockchain tech itself, let alone the market mentality or psychology wasn't mature enough yet to do any of the stuff that we're, we're doing now. So we've spent years actually in discovery. I just happened, you know, that timing, those points, I saw the this collision of Web3 and space starting to come. And so, you know, I left, I left CoinFirm and I, I went 100% into Copernic space to bring that to market. And yes, building it during a pandemic has been very interesting and, and I'm sure more challenging in, in a lot of ways than, than it would be normally, actually. So I have to pause for just a second. I saw Andrew take a big drink of what I thought was iced tea, but it's looking no. like that was a king-size scotch. Pint scotch. Oh, the whole bottle. You must have really been looking forward to this interview. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry we didn't bring you one, Grant. Uh, like, we're supposed to bring one for everyone or don't bring anything at all. Yeah, Andrew, before you got on, I was already visibly upset and complaining, and that's how the whole beer conversation started. There, that's how it all got kicked off, right? That's, that's how it always starts off with Flint and I and Andrew, too, you know? So these, these interviews are always much better with a, with a drink in hand. Unfortunately, it's still the middle of the workday over here but but grant you're calling in actually i'm curious socially on podcasts like this or you know kind of the more professional leading ones but even on (laughs) rogan's you know wait you don't know us well enough to say that yet yeah (laughs) (laughs) i'm sorry i prejudged your professional (laughs) higher degree than it is um but even on rogan's thing with musk you know i was always wondering when is it going to be socially acceptable to be like smoking the same way it is to be drinking in in these these sort of podcast sort of situations but um either way that's a side thought yes continue because i think we veered off the space thing pretty quick oh no yeah yeah this is where it gets fun yeah this is where it gets fun sometimes we do have to have a drink on the podcast to make it through, make it through all the way to the end, um, end of the day. It's like it all started, you know, it's getting end together of the and week, having drinks. And it's got yeah. nothing to do with Grant, nothing to do with Grant at all. Well, you know, Grant, this is how it all started. It all started after space conferences, at the bar, getting through the day, meeting people from all over the world. Because like Chad and Andrew and I, we've worked like basically everywhere. And I think the coolest thing about what we're doing here today is that it's a continuation of meeting people like yourself that just have this tremendous background that maybe didn't come into the the space industry through, through the front door, but maybe through the side door a little bit and maybe didn't come in as engineers or scientists and, and like none of us came in that way as well. And so it's great to hear, you know, what your background and your, your family history on how you got here. You know, like I said, I started in digital media. So, you know, my, my approach towards space definitely doesn't come from being inside the space economy. And, you know, I've spent the past eight years in the crypto market in various different ways. Um, So, you know, I think that's part of my advantage. You know, I tell people all the time, like space is so intimidating to people that they think that you can't like really enter it. It's like a thing for billionaires or super smart engineers and scientists and NASA, et cetera. They don't realize that especially the new space economy is going to need every type of person, pretty much, especially in the professional scene. And that, you know, a guy like me, I didn't I didn't even go to college technically. Right. Like I I haven't graduated from a, you know, a, a, a place of higher education on that level. And I'm not saying it's easy, but I'm saying you can walk into the space economy and plant your flag. I kind of say the space economy right now is in the point where crypto was 
I'm kind of in it for a long time, so I tend to extend it past the reality. I'd say maybe where crypto was like five, six years ago, where like you can go and plant your flag. Like you don't have to be, you know, master tech, master financial background. I think space is kind of in a, a same similar moment right now. Yeah. And you said you, you bring space into lots of different parts of your life. I mean, where all does it come in? Work, family, hobbies? More credit to my mom. My mom's been about space fashion for t- 10 years. More. Space fashion. That's exciting. Yeah. Yes. So she lives in LA. I'm, I'm originally born in Southern California. And so she, She's been doing various versions of space attire for a long time. I do it more around music. So I have I have a song that samples exclusively uses exclusively sounds from Perseverance recordings as, you know, the beat I can send it to you guys another time. And you know, one of the cases that we're doing next on Copernic Space, we did this, you know, we're doing the launch and the sale right now with Lunar Outposts rover, you know, going to the moon. So that's right. like the standard for physical payload, right? That we we're setting. We're going to be doing digital payload next, and I'm, you know, I'm going to be throwing music into space and then fractionalizing it and allowing people to buy access to or ownership of music that's been in space in digital format. So I, like I. Like I said, I mix kind of space into everything. So when people are asking me like what I'm doing, like it'll usually something will end up connecting with with space around it. So we've always focused a lot about not only making space more accessible in an economic ownership access way, but also making it kind of more emotionally accessible. So bringing out more of that fashion element. If you look at it now on the streets, there's more people wearing NASA stuff than like Nike, you know, you go into H&M or whatever, they got huge, you know, whatever licensing they have from NASA to do all that clothing, you know? So, uh, you know, I got to give my mother, especially a lot of credit around that because she saw that way before the curve, but that's kind of our, our gift and our curse a little bit, to be honest. You know, I saw not too long ago that NASA has more Twitter followers than all professional sports teams combined or professional leagues like if you were to add up premier league and you were to add up nfl and nba like nasa had more followers than all of them combined around the world space is the most ubiquitously loved it's one of the most innate points parts of human nature if you look at to you know the oldest you know civilizations that could really document anything you know they looked up to the sky that was their that was their thing we've always been trying to figure that out so i i just music like my two passions and loves like music and i have a different relationship to space than i do with music like with music i'm a creator with space it's i'm I'm a little bit i have a different approach towards it but those are the two most ubiquitously loved things like you don't walk up to somebody for either of them he's like what do you think about space he's like man i you know i hate space like (laughs) don't talk to me about space man it makes my blood boil you know like space and i hate puppies i'm gonna go stomp some kittens (laughs) you're more likely to run into you know the did you did you take that from patrice o'neill no i didn't (laughs) I have no idea who that is. <laughs> okay. 
one of the best stand-up comedians ever. He has a whole thing about. Well, man, I'm right there. Hate- that's that's the category I am with stand-up comedy. I'm just one of the best ever. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, uh, you check out Patrice O'Neill. Either way, I'm not gonna, you know, bring any more his jokes on here, or else I'll get you guys banned or something. <laughs> yeah. So either either way, the space thing for me is is making it more more human in a say. Not not so hard to get. You don't have to, you know, be a rocket scientist or a billionaire. So I also saw that you even bring space into your efforts with something I found called the Lady Rocket Foundation. Yeah. So my mother and I have a foundation for it's older than Copernic Space. Technically, we do space entrepreneurship, education and entertainment experiences. So we even have like a NASA JPL certified program for elementary school kids. We've done that program in schools from Lompoc to Estonia to we just finished one in Zagreb and some elementary schools there, which we're, we're planning on extending out to the wider school system there. So uh, that's what I meant by kind of that more emotional, approachable, community focused element of the space industry. So it's not so hard to reach for people. So what do you what do you do with, with that foundation? Like what's the what's the space connection? For example, in the elementary school stuff, they, you know, they'll build their own little parachute things and do certain tests and measurements, you know, throwing it off of their their school. Like it's an additional program to their school. It's not mandatory, but we have like pretty much 100 percent attendance rate around it. So we do anything from that, which is like a formal program to just like events. I've gone to Lompoc High School, you know, went up on stage and talked to them about, you know, just the entrepreneurship end, because I think that that's a very oversold and the hard part is very undersold. So I, I, I do that sometimes. So we do lots of different things. We bring DJs from LA to Lompoc, for example, to just do stuff with kids. So we have a very open approach towards it. It's the excitement of new space too, especially with the new generation of everything that's going on, the different technologies and just kind of having that, that full openness. You can do whatever you want with it and kind of bring fresh ideas. Well, the, you know, the fresh ideas part is the cool thing around having different types of people, you know, just like myself, like I'm not so embedded within how the space industry works or thinks exactly. So it's a different set, but I actually think one of the the intimidating factors is that it is too technical. I actually think for for a lot of people, subconsciously or consciously, for them, it's like a barrier of entry a little bit on purpose, right? Like this is our special zone and like it's hyper complex. You know, you got to be. It's either, you know, it's like being president, like being in space is like being president. It's like, what do you want to be? Well, I want to be in space and I want to be president. And it's like, it's made to be this, this far to reach thing. So, but with that said, I think there should be better ways to sell the STEM factor of it, right? Because it is really cool. And I tell people all the time, even like HR people, right? They're like doing HR for like some sort of engineers or something. I'm like, just start throwing these people at the space economy, right? Like, I think there's, there's, there's better ways also to where we can bring in the best technical people to be in the space early. I think you said it there. It's not just throwing the engineers at the space economy. It's the HR people themselves. It's everybody. Everybody has a, has a fit at the end of the day in the space economy. 
there's there's plenty to do, right? And only more and more money is going to come to do it. And we we hope to be the platform that sits as that you know that system that's transmitting all those assets and 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 that money back and forth. Going back to your school program, you know Clint Clint knows some rocket guys in Florida there in Orlando. If you want your subscribers to go from a hundred percent to one hundred and twenty, and you know all their friends and family from other schools, just get some rocketry involved, and and that'll get your sign up through the roof. <laughs> I mean, listen, if you guys have any ideas, or you know, you know, we have a certain model that works. It usually goes through the teacher, or the school itself. But either way, if you guys you know have have ideas or thoughts or something like that, we're we're always an open book. So long as there's a waiver to be signed on on the rocket side, <laughs> I think you're good to go. <laughs> explosives and fire gets people excited it does one of the things you mentioned earlier grant is that your businesses try to bridge the gap not between industry and science but also between north america and europe you work a lot in both both places like what's the what's the draw for you bringing those two together well, I think in the space, if you're actually in the space economy, you notice that there is a big segmentation between Europe and the U.S. markets in the show. I mean, that's it's getting more blurred now with with some of the newer companies. You know, there's a, a company we work super close with that just opened up an office in Luxembourg, and Luxembourg's throwing a lot of money right now to attract companies from around the world to be there. Europe has a different culture when it comes to you know, like doing startups and and business. I have access to a better tech talent pool in Central and Eastern Europe at a better price. Americans are a little bit easier to deal with, let's say, in the communication and and that sort of way. But when it comes to just pure technical talent, there's a lot of Ukrainians that are hyper smart. So it's just a matter of you know, how to find and manage that talent. Western Europe, I'm, you know, that's where most of the money is, especially in space, right? So, and the UK is pumping billions of government money now into space. So Europe's taking space more seriously. Um, But when it comes to just building a company between the two continents, it's dealing with different sort of approaches, mentalities, and cultures, to be honest. Americans are very easy to work with. It, it really depends, man. It really depends. I mean, it's hard for me to answer, but, you know, I, I'm half European, if you want to call it. My mother's from Warsaw originally, so um, it's easier for me to navigate these waters than it is for just an average American who's trying to have like a dual operation as a company. Right. Well, you know, you mentioned, you know, this tremendous talent in the in Ukraine around the space industry. And one of the things we've seen recently, especially with the world events that are happening today, is a tremendous amount of support from every industry supporting Ukraine, but especially out of the space industry. You know, one of the things that became more apparent to me is how many companies, both in Europe and in North America, have Ukrainian divisions or they have team members in Ukraine that work in the space industry. And it's it's really come to light just how how important uh, the Ukrainian space in, industry is. I had, Personally, I haven't seen much. I've, of course, seen, bear with me, I'm a former chief marketing officer. You know, I worked around digital media and stuff. So I've seen a lot of the standard support the latest thing. We feel horrible and sorry sort of posts. 
Uh, I haven't seen anything particularly that you speak of when it comes to the space industry saying we have workers there and these are the actions we are taking for our workers. I haven't seen much of that, but I, I'm not observing what everybody else is doing as, as much as I, I used to. Um, so maybe I just missed that. For me, it's, it's, you know, it's a, you can throw money at the situation. You're not exactly sure how the money is going to be used unless you're getting it directly to the people that, that are asking you for it. The problem is, is that, you know, men can't leave the country, right? So if you have talent that's there and you want to get them out and they didn't get out on the first day or they didn't, like, they're probably not getting out. So it's kind of up to the whims of whatever the realities on the ground are, wherever they may be at. Right. Like if you're in Odessa, it's, it's cool. But if you're even if if you're in Kiev, it wasn't cool for a moment. I don't know how the connection is there. You know, and I saw that Musk sent the, the, the Starlink things there. I don't know how much it's being used because there's places there with totally no Internet. So I don't I don't know how that's being used. It's I mean, it's a it's a not a fun situation. I don't I don't know exactly how the space industry has directly responded to it and in, in sort of functional ways and you know whatever you say on social media i take that with a grain of salt if you're you know a company yeah i think coming from the earth observation industry we've we've also seen quite a bit of support in oh that's um, been great no yeah. dude that's free marketing what are you talking support <laughs> that's the best marketing they've ever gotten in their life that just yeah. that just the earth observation industry right in the right in the scope of oh maybe we need this you know more than I don't, once again, coming from a chief marketing officer, don't, don't always take it as it's, it's, that's the best marketing they've, these companies have pretty much ever had. So they didn't, they didn't sacrifice much. We'd love to hear more about your work with, with Lunar Outpost. Maybe you can dig into that a little bit. You like the stories, the backstories behind things. So this is, you know, to to credit the guys at Lunar Outpost and shout outs to New Space New York City because they invited us to speak. And this is during COVID, so we couldn't, you know, do the physical thing. And I spoke about, you know, what we're doing and, and how we view, you know, the tokenization of the space economy, creating a space asset class, how to better commercialize, you know, what these space companies are doing. And, and how we're going to do that. And afterwards, I, I get an email from one of the founders of, of Lunar Outpost, you know, talking about how they're, they view what, what we're trying to do as, you know, kind of the future of, of how a lot of this stuff may look. You know, we have a different go-to-market strategy than most marketplaces because space is unique. So we look to build valid commercial cases that create a standard for a certain vertical within the market, execute that, you know, really strongly like a Hollywood premiere, like an NFT drop, if, if that's your thing, and prove that case, right? And with this case, we're creating the standard for physical payload. And that's a two-tiered thing. That is, A, creating a digital commercialization standard that streamlines and scales up the these business processes and the transactionability, you know, for these space companies, right? So provide an actual digital process that makes it much more faster, makes them more discoverable to a wider commercial market so they can better sell their real original asset, which is physical payload, right? 
the rights to send physical cargo up on their rover to the moon. And we then turn that into an actual asset. So if I'm a company that did buy those rights, I receive an asset, which is an NFT format in, in this case, right? That represents my rights or, or ownership to that, that payload space. And then when my payload goes into it, I can transfer that ownership to represent the actual ownership of what the cargo is. And within that, I can embed access like data access if it's generating some sort of data or I can just treat it as fractional ownership. I just can have ownership of whatever this asset in space is. So in that case, you know, they can change it to represent their, their cargo, a new asset tied to that original one, chop it up and resell it to the retail market or other commercial players. Right. So what we've done with with Lunar Outpost is created that standard and the space asset class and the marketplace for it. Right. And we build all of this in consideration of the space economy. Right. So Lunar Outpost can't sell that asset to a Chinese national, for example. And that won't happen on our secondary market either, because how we've embedded certain rights within these NFTs in the wallets. Right. So all this stuff is very much built to be the new standard for how you not only sell, you know, your space asset, but actually turning it into a real asset that creates a new revenue stream for you and creates, you know, more access to, to the world when it comes to the space market overall. So we feel that missions like this, and this is the first truly commercial lunar mission ever. This is the first time ever you even have the capability to offer something like this. So our thing is to engage the wider commercial market. And then in the beginning, the crypto market, because they understand, you know, kind of digital assets in this alternative sense, but the, the wider re retail market as whole. So with the Lunar Outpost thing, you know, we did what we call the private sale. So that's where it's exclusively for entities who can buy the 100 grams or more needed to physically send it, right? And in a couple of months, we're going to launch the public side of, of the sale, which will allow the retail market or whoever to buy the minimum 0.10 of a gram of ownership of either the cargo that's on it or the space itself. And if you buy enough in the public sale, that virtual ownership of the physical space, you can brand it. So, you know, if, if like Gucci wants their own space on the moon through the rover, you know, they can create like a Gucci virtual space on the moon and they can chop it up and resell it. Like you can go a million different ways conceptually with creating new space assets off of real space assets. The Gucci moon purse and then get your addition on earth as well. See this, this man is thinking you must have a wife or something. <laughs> a wife and three kids. You must kids. have a wife or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, just most men don't think in, in Gucci purse and then how does no, who wants either way? <laughs> yeah, well, she could care less probably about the moon edition, but I'd be all over that. Okay. <laughs> be a way for you to get your wife Gucci and be excited about it yourself. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> now you got it. That's, that's a win-win. That's home a with win -win. the smile <laughs> on his face from a nice gift. <laughs> Look at it this way. Look at it this way. The Omega, you know, Omega was the first moon watch. watch yeah. mm -hmm. They just, you know, they're doing the thing with privateer. You know, this is just an example, you know, they send the watch there or they have their Omega space they bought virtually and you buy a fractional ownership of it, you can get that watch, right? With an NFT attached to it, which is virtual ownership of a real asset that's on the real moon. Oh, I like that. That's an additional twist.
That's that's how the new you know how the new space economy to us is going to look. It's going to be real assets that the creator of that asset can choose whether it's tradable or not. Like I mentioned earlier with like satellite data, like I buy an hour of this sort of service, I use half an hour, let me resell that half, other half hour, right? Um, but it's for us, it's also about the creation of these virtual assets tied to these real assets. So for example, the real asset is I bought this much space on a satellite and I'm generating these sort of images with it. And on the basis of what I bought on the satellite, I'm selling access to the data that is generating, right? And these are all these virtual assets that are based off that real asset. So we think there's about a two to three year curve around what we're doing. And we mainly see it as a educational kind of communication curve and just people understanding that, hey, this is how you do commerce in space. This is how you transact uh, in the space economy. And this is how you eventually invest into, you know, these space ventures and projects because next year, hopefully, we plan to launch Space Pool, which is pretty much like tokenized investing and in, in financing of space projects and ventures. So right now we're focused on the marketplace element. Next year we'll be, we, we plan to add a little spice with the investment and it's just regulatory procedures make us, you know, uh, do that at a little bit slower pace. Is this the type of project that takes a lot of venture capital to back it? No, I think the cool thing around us, we even have like a little story coming out around how, you know, VCs are investing in this new market that we represent, which is, you know, this bringing Web3 to space, the collision of Web3 and space. And one of the points that we kind of offhand made was that we represent a new breed of space companies, technically, that don't have such a massive upfront cost and risk towards their development and revenue generation. So I could, you know, if you gave me enough time and, and you know, fed me, you know, I could bootstrap a, and I did bootstrap quite a bit of this with myself and my own money. But eventually we got, you know, good investors and VCs on board, but I could bootstrap a project like this to a certain point, right? Like you're not going to bootstrap building a satellite. Certainly not. Like that's a very capital intensive endeavor. So yeah, so to answer your question in a much less long-winded way, uh, no, we don't have a huge capital needs. Really, a lot of it is just pure development like and marketing. You know, For the first two to three years, we're going to put a lot of money in marketing and making sure that these sales and, and, and these kind of new standards we're setting are really you know, pounded into the brains of everyone. Right. Well, usually, as we're getting toward the end of the show, we like to ask people, what the most exciting thing that they see happening in the space industry today is, is this it for you? Like web 3.0, is this the most exciting thing happening in the industry for you? I, I think, you know, there's, there's the dreamy end of that question, which is like, I want to, you know, I want to take a trip to Mars by the time I die, you know, type of end to it. Or, and then there's kind of the, the more, practical end of it which could be like for example i want people to be able to go up in a space like they take a cruise you know right i think those are the two kind of ends of the spectrum 
To be honest, that's one of the harder questions for me to answer. I'm just like so hyper-focused on our goal and how we see, you know, all this stuff operating. It's like, I don't, when I'm dealing with sometimes building cases with these, with, with some of these space companies, like these people are so smart solving, you know, building something like this specific problem that I know that if I try to really understand the problem, like, or if I try to be a part of the answer to the specific problem they're solving and really understand it, that I'm not going to dedicate enough time to solve the business case. If, if you kind of get what I'm saying, I, I, I got to leave that part alone. It's just like, I decided a while ago, like, I'm not going to become a programmer. Like I'm, gonna, <laughs> like, I'm going to focus on where, you know, my biggest value is going to go in. So I don't have any dreamy spacing. For example, I don't know if I want to go into space personally. Right. Like that's how realistic I am with that. Like I have one kidney, for example, like, I don't know, is that good for me? I kind of get panicky on planes as it is, you know, (laughs) if you get panicky on a plane might be a good idea not to go to space, stay off a rocket. That's been a recent thing though. But, but either way, like how sure am I of this? Am I going to like get up there and I'm going to like start hyperventilating and be like, get me down. And it's like, uh, this is worse than a plane. Like we can't get you down. So, you know, I, I'm just focused on this, this mission. It's my family legacy. You know, you started off with, with how this story start. Well, this story, you know, ends with how it starts in a certain way. Right. And it's, it's based off a certain dream and wish of, of my grandfather, which has become mine as well, because I think the new space economy is, is going to be the largest and most important economy in, in mankind's history, not just from an economic end, but from the benefits it can provide. And I think it's, you know, it's not a bad legacy to have to be one of the reasons why an 18 year old who, who wants to have ownership and be a part of space can, can be a part of space and fuel crazy guys that are solving, you know, complex problems at the, at the same time, because the way the model's set up now, there's not enough, it's not generating revenue or transactions at a scalable enough level, and it's not providing enough loose liquidity at, at a high enough level to, to fuel everything that, that needs to be done and will happen, right? It's just a matter of who we let, you know, really do it and how long it'll take. And, and of course, those, those things also limit the, the, the speed and level of innovation that can be created at the same time. So, I mean, these are all rabbit holes that I can open up in, in future conversations we have. Yeah, maybe we could have another episode with many rabbit holes. Uh, next episode, I hope, uh, if we do it before, if we do it sometime after the beginning of June, then, you know, you guys will be able to, to go online and, and buy ownership of, you know, a an asset going a space asset going to the moon. So I'm very use case product driven. So we could even share some, you know, you guys could do it live. Yeah, that would be cool. Live, like O'Reilly. That said. would be fun. That well, would be fun. As we as we as we wrap up then maybe you want to tell the listeners like if they want to get involved, how? Yeah, uh, another thing that you're going to see around space that's going to happen in new space is going to be super community driven. So you're going to be involved at, with different companies and projects through community sense. We very much, you know, I think represent the, the coming of that. So Twitter, it's at Copernic Space. That's C-O-P-E-R-N-I-C space. That's named after Copernicus in Polish. It's Kopernik. So we just 
Anglo filed it with, with, you know, a, a C. <laughs> so it's at Copernic Space pretty much across all social media. Go to CopernicSpace.com, hit that hit that sign up for the public wait list button. We'll put you on a list for all our updates as well as when our public sale drops. And last but not least, Discord. If you're into that sort of stuff, uh, into Discord communities, you can go on our Twitter and we have the link on our Twitter to our Discord community, which we started recently. So you can join us there and you can even kind of chat with me directly if you want. I'm pretty, I answer pretty often. That's great. Awesome. Fantastic. Well, if you're, if you're listening, go there right now, Copernic Space. Grant, it's been great. We appreciate you coming on the show today and tuning in from such a late hour tonight, but we can't wait to, to talk to you again next time. Well, it's either this or take care of my kids. So, you know, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> hey, this show is like taking you there. care of a few kids. kids. Yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> Except for the scotch. I hope you don't give your kids scotch. Uh, no, that's all for me. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> well, great. Grant, it's been awesome. We'll see you on the next next one. Thanks a lot. Likewise. And that was great chatting with Grant. I like how Clint said, Andrew, you lead, and then paused, and then pushed recording. <laughs> it's the awkward transition, Andrew. It is the awkward. It's almost like he wanted me to speak before he pushed record. Oh, yeah. I knew exactly what I was doing. I, exactly. I you guys into it. See, I knew it. <laughs> I knew it. But yeah, that was that was awesome having Grant on. Like he's really got his hands in in a lot of different aspects of the space business. I like how he's thinking outside the box, as as Clint would call it, through the side door, and bringing bringing a whole different view of and group of people really into new space and into the industry, trying to find a way for everybody to have a piece. But I'm definitely excited. Maybe not about the Gucci purse, but the opportunity there. You're excited about the Gucci purse, just. Okay, I'm excited about the little the little one one tenth of a gram of the space Gucci purse, and then getting a, a real person saying, "Hey, like, happy I life, just, happy life." Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you just called your wife out on a on a show that airs all around the world. It's okay. She's gonna Everybody love. Everybody knows her. Yeah, she's gonna love that. Yeah, and you know, I think he's right. The space economy, the lunar economy. I think eventually we're going to get to a point where everyone will be thrilled to have a piece of it or a part of it in whatever way that they can. You know, I'm still working really hard to see what the downstream added value is beyond owning a piece. And it's cool to own a piece, how you turn that into revenue further on. Any ideas? Selling that piece of the Gucci Persian purse on? <laughs> reselling that purse. Yeah, reselling <laughs> reselling that purse. the purse. Exactly. <laughs> there we go. Uh, but you know, I think I think blockchain, you know, as we talked about, it didn't seem like Grant had as big of a emphasis on data integrity, but you know, in the earth observation business, I can I can definitely see that. And because he's not on this part anymore, thanks, Grant. I was glad to have you. Not on this part, he can't really defend himself here, but like I, I do see a big opportunity for blockchain and and earth observation data, maintaining that data integrity all the way through the process to the end user. Yeah, I think it's got it's got validity. I think there's something to be said for anybody being able to look at a digital label and see where that product came from, how it was made, what 
you know, thinking about agriculture, what chemicals were used, what piece of land, you know, there's, there's all sorts of exciting pieces around being able to track and know and just make a, a more informed decision. Yeah. I think, I think it even goes a little deeper than that though. When, when at the rawest form of the data, you know, once, once data is downlinked, being able to track that in a way that assures that that data hasn't changed or hasn't been altered or affected or influenced by some third-party actor before it gets to the end user. I, I think there's value in that. How much? I, I don't know, but I know that that's becoming more and more important. Absolutely. And just so you know, Andrew, the, the listeners can't see when you nod your head. Nod. Slow blink. Yeah, yeah. The, the slow blink. <laughs> but yeah, I think, I think there's such a, a great opportunity for blockchain in space. Grant's definitely someone that, that thinks big and broadly about the industry and has incorporated it into his whole life. But it was awesome having him on the show and can't wait to see him again. So Grant, thanks for being on the show. It was awesome having you and we'll see you next time. Bye, all Thanks for joining us for another episode of Space in 60. Stay tuned as we explore new journeys into space with our upcoming guests and talk about the evolution of the industry. Be sure to subscribe to the show so you don't miss any new episodes. And we would love your input and feedback. So send us your comments and questions, and we'll try to feature them in a future podcast. We'll catch you on the next episode of Space in 60, where new space speaks. Space in 60.